RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Rugby Renegade Podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Nick Grantham, strength and conditioning and sports science consultant. Now Nick is uh, a wealth of information when it comes to S&C. Uh, he's worked through the EIS as a sports physiologist and sports scientist, progressing into strength and conditioning, working with various Olympic teams and sports and, and now he consults with football teams, uh, most notably uh, West Bromwich Albion he works with at the moment. Um, so loads of good information um, he, he's been doing it for years and he's got a really good way of getting it across so give it a listen and let us know what you think Hi Nick, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast great to have you on why don't we start um, by just getting a little bit of background about yourself why don't you tell us um, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the, the teams and sports you've worked with Sure, well, well thanks for inviting me on firstly Jamie and uh, it's, it's good to catch up after almost nine years uh, from that very first workshop that I ran with Eric Cressy Back in sort of 2007. Um, how did I get into S&C? Well, kind of, I left school very early, left at 16, um, went to work in a bank and an insurance company, realised after six years that I was horrendous at that, didn't like the nine to five, wearing a suit. Um, so I went back to university, uh, went back to night school, studied at night school, got enough qualifications to get to university, went and studied sports science. And at the time, back in sort of late 90s, strength and conditioning didn't even really exist in the UK. It was really sports science physiologists were, were the only people really getting jobs out there. So I started off as a sports scientist working with British Gymnastics uh, as a physiologist. Um, and whilst it was interesting, I I quickly realised, you know, sort of taking blood lactates and measuring VO two maxes was was relatively dull. Um, what I was interested in was, you know, someone comes in and gets tested, they go away for six weeks, they then come back in fitter and stronger and faster. I wanted to know what happened in the middle, what what took place in those six weeks. So, fortunately, at that point in time, um, going into sort of ninety nine two thousand, uh, the NSCA ran their first ever certification program up in Leeds so I went and sat on that and, and passed my NSCA certification uh, and again probably fortunately unfortunately for the gymnast one of the gymnasts got injured um, wanted some strength work so I sort of put my hand up and we had a successful period of time working with him and, and gradually ended up with the rest of the squad coming on board and, and that was it then that really ignited my passion for becoming an SSC coach I I moved from the institute across to um, the England netball team, and that was my first job as a as a fully fledged strength and conditioning coach. It was one of I think only a couple of positions in the UK that were actually called that. My my boss at the time, John Brewer, told me it was career suicide because you know physiology and sports science was was the king at that point, and no one really knew what uh, SSC was, let alone going to work for a sport like netball. Um, the perception of which wasn't wasn't that high. However, it's probably one of the best sports I've worked with, one of the best performance directors I've ever worked with in coaches. So I was very lucky that I was able to cut my teeth with a, with a national squad on the ground and, and I guess the squad grew in their knowledge of physical preparation as I developed as well. So I, th- I think I was very lucky on reflection uh, at, in the era that I got into SSC. Um 
I then transitioned across to the English Institute of Sport when that started. I think I was number five S&C coaching uh, into the mix and loved my time there in the West Midlands heading up the S&C department. Worked with a, a wide range of athletes from you know your Olympians, Paralympians. Uh, it, it was again that was a real uh, sort of opportunity for me to learn about really hands-on delivery across such a wide variety of sports. Um, and then in 2007, uh, I left and moved up to the northeast and set myself up as an independent consultant. And ever since then, I've been working and consulting for a range of pro teams um, in the performing arts. Uh, and most recently, I've just taken on a new new job working in action sports. So that's going to be quite interesting for me uh, and something new. So yeah, fairly eclectic. I've, I've, I feel old when I when I <laughs> talk through that sort of stuff because um, yeah, it, it's almost twenty years working as an SSC coach, which is which is great. Yeah, definitely, and a, and a wealth of experience. And and when we get a guest on, we kind of want to have a an insight into their kind of strength and conditioning philosophy, and that's obviously something we could probably talk about it for hours but how would you kind of describe your strength and conditioning philosophy in a nutshell so if, if we're going to boil it down to uh, a nymph, uh, one one simple thing it would be whenever i approach a sport whenever i'm working with a team or an athlete it's trying to find the one simple thing that isn't being do- done that will have the biggest impact and then we do that um, rather than all this BS around marginal gains and trying to be too fancy, most of the sports and most of the athletes that you work with, there's often a, a fundamental thing that isn't being done, usually because it's perceived to be too simple. So that would be kind of how I approach most sports. And then if, if we were to break that down into I've got sort of five key areas that I look for when I'm writing programs and when I'm working with people, it's kind of like Ron Seal does what it says on the tin. So if athletes wanted to work with me, it, I'm going to be looking for quality of movement for quantity. It doesn't mean that everything has to be super perfect. You know, we've got a bandwidth of movement dysfunction, so long as it's not dangerous, but I, I want good quality movements. I want it to be functional. That doesn't mean standing on stability balls and wobbling around and doing pseudo sports related. It just means a functional activity that again will give me, the performance advantage that I'm looking for and the performance gain that I'm looking for. So a functional activity for hypertrophy could be an isolation exercise like a leg curl, leg extension. Okay, um, But it could also be something that is very sport-specific. It, it depends on where we're at with that athlete um, development. So quality, functional, I look for everything I like to be as efficient as possible. I don't really understand why people wear a badge of honour about being in the gym for ages and ages and training and trying to get results by volume. So I really try and hone in on, look, if we can do this in 20 minutes and it's taking someone else 40, let's do it in 20. You know, what's the point in just grinding out sessions? Uh, I like continuity. One thing I've seen over the years and particularly with the onset of sort of millennials coming through academies and into training is... And also with the rise of the internet guru and expert on on Instagram and, and various platforms is people are always looking for the new shiny thing and are very easily distracted. So I, I try and, you know, still try and work on continuity of, of effort and have found that 
you know, it's no surprise if you if you do things repeatedly and do them repeatedly well, you're going to get results. If you constantly flip from one training strategy to another, you'll never really get those adaptations that you're looking for. Uh, and then finally, an area that I've always been really strong on and, and really interested in is recovery, recovering regeneration. Um, I think sometimes we've overdone that a little bit. We've wrapped people up in cotton wool. And I think we're probably realizing now that actually sometimes you just you do need a training stimulus and you don't need to shut people down every every week. Um, so they're, they're kind of my five cornerstones, I guess, to, to the programs. All right. Yeah, that, that's great. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on recovery because that's something I was going to ask you because I'm, I'm aware that you've spoken about that before. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it's kind of often misunderstood by athletes and coaches. So how do you approach recovery with your athletes? So usually again the starting point is the basics so i talk about a recovery cycle and that's three elements and it's nutrition it's um body management and sleep because if you've not got those fundamentally in place you know jumping into the compression skins slipping into an ice bath you know using omega wave or whatever diagnostics you want it is going to be uh, an exercise in futility you know again we we're always looking for bright, shiny stuff. We need to focus on the simple things. Getting good quality and quantity of sleep, making sure that we're hydrating and fueling effectively for the training that we're we're putting our bodies through. And then body management, you know, our passive and active recovery strategies in and around what we're doing. So that, those would be, the, you know, the recovery cycle is where I start. Then if we want to get into it a little bit more, um, my colleague and I, Mark Jarvis, developed a recovery pyramid back in about 2005 now to to try and make sense of all the recovery strategies that are available and we sort of put them in a pyramid of increasing sophistication and what you found was that as you went up in the level of sophistication actually the research and backing for them is usually less and less um, but that's the stuff that everyone wants to do because it's it's cool and sexy um, but what I would do is I'd sit down with an athlete and a coach and, and look at that and again if, if the fundamentals are in place, then we can start looking at some of the add-ons. Um, and occasionally, even if the fundamentals aren't nailed down, there may be specific situations, maybe going into a competition period or, or a major tournament where despite nutrition not being on point or sleep not being on point, we still go and hit them with some of the more sophisticated strategies like cryotherapy or, um, you know, uh, compression garments or nutritional supplementation yeah that, that and obviously tied into what you were saying before and you mentioned uh, marginal gains where people look at those you know the shiny objects as what's really going to make a difference but if you haven't got those bread and butter things uh, you know right first it's yeah. going to have very little effect and you, you see it um, with recreational athletes you see it with um, recreational sort of gym goers that have not only are they holding down a job and a family and they're also playing recreational you know weekend rugby and they're trying to do all of these things and they're, they're running on empty because they're not eating well or not sleeping right or they're not just taking time out to be with the family and go for a, a walk down the beach or, or or something just to recharge the batteries what they're looking for is the latest protein carbohydrate mix that they're going to chug down after training. They're they're walking around in skins constantly, even though they've not got the body to do it. Um, usually, uh, you know, they people want a quick fix, and it's rarely a long-lasting fix that you get. I think it's more about habit forming, and again, that links back to continuity of of what you're doing. 
simple stuff done well. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Now moving on, um, obviously you've worked with a lot of team sports, um, and one of the challenges, and especially in rugby, is being able to peak, you know, every weekend of the season. Yeah. Um, now, how how would you approach that? Do you think it's possible to to sort of periodize things in season? Are you one of these people who thinks it's you know you're on a kind of maintenance phase throughout the season? Yeah, it's it, it's. It is tough. I mean, I, I consult in pro football, in pro, um, in the EPL, and yeah, we we face similar sorts of issues of trying to be up for it every weekend. Obviously, the physical requirements are very different, um, it, it, but nonetheless, you are still trying to peak and taper. Um, I think traditional periodisation models uh, don't necessarily lend themselves to to modern team sports and to the modern um, uh, periodisation. Uh, uh, here we go. It's been a long day. It doesn't really lend itself to the modern sort of training year, where the competitive cycle is no longer, you know, one or two peaks a year. It, it's constant, and even in the off season, they're away on tours and national duty. So I think, um, yeah, traditional models have limited application. I think John Kiley has written a really good. He's a, he's a UK uh, strength and conditioning coach. He's written a really good couple of articles looking at you know a, a more modern take on periodization and actually if you go back to the work of Mel Siff who's kind of a legendary SNC coach he first talks about it in his book Super Training about cybernetic periodization which sounds dead funky and dead clever but basically it's, it's essentially coach what you see in front of you and I think the modern strength and conditioning professional coming out of university has got very good at programming off of spreadsheets and training apps what they've lost the is the interaction and the art of coaching and the experience of looking at your squad and a player looking you in the eyes and saying Do you know what I'm absolutely shattered and for the coach to be comfortable enough to say well actually even though it says on the plan we're doing x y and z what I'm going to do is change it up and we're going to we're going to change your program on the fly and it, I think we've lost that. And it's almost if you if you don't program by the numbers, you, you look down upon. Whereas I think um, it's far better to have that. Carl Vale talks about writing programs in wet cement rather than hard concrete. And I, and I think that's really good. You know, it is a process. It's definitely not a, a, a rigid prescription that we're looking for, and um, particularly in team sports. Um, so yeah, I think. Then what you're looking, going back to your question about do you just try and maintain, I, I can only speak from what I, my experience in, in team sports, I haven't worked in rugby extensively, but we would certainly look to try and get a lot of work done in the off-season and pre-season and try and add the capacity to that squad so that then when we get into the season, we can try and hold that within an acceptable level all the way through. And even at the lowest point, we're still working at, at you know good intensities. It's a bit like uh, Sergei Bubka, who his training, you know, all the way through the year, regardless of what competition, he was always probably operating at eighty percent. And then it, when a big competition came in, he, he bumped it up to ninety percent, um, and then came back down to sort of seventy-five, eighty, and fluctuated through it. And I think that's what you're doing with team sports. You need to get your players to a fitness standard and try not to drop below that during the season, but then also have the ability to flex the program enough 
so that when big games come up, when big challenges, you know, we're going into um, a winter period now at the club where we've got fixture congestion. So how do we cope with that? Do, you know, we manipulate our volumes and our intensities on on the go based on what we're seeing coming through. You know, depending on the opposition you're playing. So I think it it has to be a lot more flexible now, Jamie, than it than it has in the past. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think you're right. I think you need to have a kind of a plan in place but you need to have the ability to to be flexible within that plan don't you yeah and i think that's that's the bit that's lost you know everyone's got cracking spreadsheets with system mass volume loads and predicted one rms in 10 weeks time and i just don't think that's the reality i i i don't think that's how you can program in, in modern sport i think you have to be we have to become coaches again we've become Strength and conditioning scientists. I think we have to we have to not forget we're coaches first and foremost. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. Uh, so moving on, this is um, this is a listener's question, and it's kind of asking the best way to include strongman training um, as part of their program. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I, I guess it would go back to those fundamental things that that I I believe in that we talked at the start of the the podcast. Um, for me, it's got to add. It's got to add something to the program rather than just being done because everyone else is doing strongman. You know, strongman training is great for strongman athletes, just the same as Olympic lifting is great for Olympic lifters and powerlifting is great for powerlifting. There may be elements that you can take from each of those strands and apply them to the sport you're working in in rugby. Um, but I think if all of a sudden your training just looks like strongman then you're going to create strong guys but not necessarily great rugby players um so i think it's always having a training purpose in mind so understanding okay what physical quality is it that i want to improve and is this is strongman training the, the tool or an element of strongman training the tool that is best going to improve that if it is go for it but you, you do see it all too often. People adopting training methodologies that that work for the sport itself, but not for the sport that you're competing in. You know, it's, it's a bit like you know you could name you could name a ton of them. You know, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, strongman. They're all they're all fine as as training methodologies, just not always great for improving sports performance. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think it's um, like you say, whatever you do has to have a purpose um and maybe you know to help answer this, the listener's question like in my opinion you can kind of use strongman as part of a metabolic circuit or something like that it might yeah. kind of bridge the gap between kind of the gym gym based conditioning more so into rugby specific for one of a better term yeah um and it's probably more applicable to the for- the forwards for instance um yeah. Yeah. but if if you completely adopt strongman you know completely in your program you're not training for rugby, you're training for strongman. Like you're gonna, you said. Yeah, you have some great guys travelling up to Scotland and doing strongman competition. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you know, as you alluded to there, there were probably points within the season where it, it's really beneficial. I can, absolutely, in pre-season, do you set out some strongman challenges and have a competition amongst the lads and, and, and the girls that you're working with? Of, of course, you know, I think that's a novel strategy. Um, and as you said, in-season... Maybe when you're looking for to to switch it up a little bit and have more of a global metabolic stress on the system rather than a specific training adaptation, 
then yeah, some of those strongman um, events and, and training methodologies will be really applicable. Um, so yeah, I, I can see it being used. I think people do sometimes just run away with it, and you've got a rugby team that just look like strongmen. Yeah, and and like you said as well, it's the same with any kind of training modality. So make sure you're using what you can from those training approaches to yeah. enhance your rugby performance, not just. Yeah, you know, I mean, calisthenics at the moment is big. Everyone's doing handstands and and gymnastic stuff, and which is great, you know. But is being able to do a handstand going to improve you as a rugby, as a forward, or as a? I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced. So, understand why you're doing it. If it's because it's a challenge and you want to learn how to do it, fine. But if you think it's going to cross over into performance, I, I'd, I'd question that. Yeah. And now this is a question we ask uh, all the guests on the podcast. Uh, what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? <laughs> uh, I, see, I feel I feel bad because I like I've got limited experience working with, with pro rugby. So I've I've done some stuff with the women's game, uh, with the national team, and, and I've worked with some individuals. So um, I guess it, my comments I qualify all my comments by saying these are probably from an outside observer looking in on the sport. Um, and so you can take with it uh, as you like. I think what we probably saw was over a number of years, uh, there was an emphasis across different nations of, of just getting freaking strong. And it was all about strength. It was all about more load. It was about the biggest dumbbells, which team's got the biggest set of dumbbells in, in you know, two people having to lift them on. And I think, again, we forgot about performance on the pitch. And, okay, strength is an underpinning physical quality but you've got to be able to run you've got to be able to change direction you've got to be able to take collisions um so i think maybe that's that's an issue and i think that probably filters down into the youth setup where certainly you're seeing lots of younger developing rugby players that are kind of caught up in this whole sort of body image issue and again they, they're getting strong and they're getting hench you know, and they're getting hashtag gains with a capital Z. But, you know, if you look at their physiques, aesthetically, they're probably looking pretty good. But is that going to set them up for long-term success in terms of their, their sports performance? And, you know, again, I'd, I'd question some of the training modalities some of the younger athletes are doing um, to try and, you know, get too big too quick, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and you'll know as, as well as anyone that there's obviously diminishing returns with, with strength improvements to performance. So obviously it's important for them to have that, but not at the detriment of other parts of their performance, whether it's speed, agility, you know, yeah. technical, tactical. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. You know, one of the sports I consult in, as I said, is uh, professional football. Now, the gains that we can get from strength with that um, group of athletes is huge because they've just never really been exposed to an extended training history of proper strength training yeah. so we're, we're seeing great improvements and great benefits from the work in the gym that's then transferring out to the pitch a sport like rugby that's probably traditionally embraced physical preparation as you say there's going to be diminishing gains just by getting bigger and stronger um, and I think maybe you could look to some of the other sort of southern hemisphere teams where maybe some of the smaller more more mobile players come to the fore yeah definitely um, 
Right, moving on, and I'm expecting a very good answer to this question, as you have published a book called You're Hired. Um, what uh, is your advice to an upcoming strength coach? <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, I mean, that's why that's why the book was put together. I kept getting emails and, and calls from aspiring S&C coaches, you know, what book should I read, what course should I go on, what should I do for a work experience, how should I get um, an internship, and they, they came a point I just thought I'm telling the same people the same thing over and over again so I put the book together um, it, it, it's for charity it, donations go towards um, a cancer charity to support uh, an intern that I worked with who, who sadly passed away from cancer and it also goes to the UKSCA to support an up and coming S&C coach um, that that's awarded to so you know I, I make no money off the book um, and, and within it what I, what I wrote was essentially how I got into S&C because I figure if I can do it anyone can I'm not the sharpest tool in the box uh, you know and if I can do it then anyone can and I, I offered all the mistakes that I made so that people can can fast forward it um, I think if if you're going to look at stuff that you've got to do you know read your hired the network building a network is the key thing and it won't always it won't always bring the rewards immediately but you will find that 5, 10, 15 years down the line, someone that you've met at a conference, that you've kept in touch with, that you've gone and spent some time with at their club, will call you and will alert you to an opportunity or tell you about something that's going to be really useful for your practice. So building a network is super important. It was something that I was really poor at and that I've had to work at massively. Um, and then the, the final thing, which... Considering we're, we're, you know, if we're talking to S and C coaches who love planning, they don't plan their own professional development. They kind of drift, and then wonder why in five years' time they're still doing a, an internship or working at a club they don't want to be at. And in in the book, I outline, I, I put together a, a professional development um, plan and some tasks that that the guys who read it, the guys and girls who read it, can work through those tasks and it helps pinpoint the, the areas in their career development where they're lacking and then that gives them the focus. So the same way that you would plan a program to address the weak points with your athlete, you should be doing that with your own career development um, because otherwise you just, you, you'll de-skill, you'll de-train and five years time you'll have been taken over by other um, coaches out there. So yeah, let me three bits of advice. Yeah. Good, Jamie. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, buy, and buy the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, de I absolutely buy the book. Um, like I say, it's it's hundred percent proceeds go to charity, um, and it's an easy read, and it's written in a very um, simple language. A little bit industrial at times, but uh, it, it's the way I sort of communicate. No, that's great. It's definitely for for a great cause, and obviously be a great help for anyone looking to get their foot in in the door with strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, professional development, that's something that, you know, I must admit I kind of struggle to do. Work, you know, working week in week out in professional rugby, it's difficult to get to things. Yeah. And it's something I really got to work hard to, you know, to increase those opportunities to do things like that. Yeah. So, so my advice to you, Jamie, then would be one that I've got in the book, and it's it's that Kevin Costner field of dreams, build it, and they will come. You know, if you can't get out to things, try and manipulate ways of getting people to come to you um so we do that at west brom we we get people in to us to spend time with us um and then that means that you don't have to leave your office and you get the experts coming to see you 
So there you go. Advice for you, Jamie. Definitely great. <laughs> uh, um, now I'm conscious of time, Nick. So um, we'll just sort of crack on and, and find out where can people learn more about you and, and what have you got coming up. Um, so if, if you want to read my my general musings and ramblings, uh, Uh I, I only put stuff up there when I've got something interesting to stay. So um, it's not like a a blog piece every week. It, it comes and goes, but it's only when I think I've got something worth chatting about. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Coach Nick G. Um, and then well, all, all sorts coming up, but I guess the big thing for 2017 is is the proper launch of the Professional Fitness Coaching Academy, which we, we've pulled together to bridge the gap between sort of PTs that have newly qualified that then realize there's a little bit more to life than the, the six-week course taught them and actually want to put in place some solid working practices and developers as fitness professionals. So that, that's kicking off in, in February, um, and you can find out more about that at www.thepfca.com. Cool. And, of course, we'll share all, all links to everything you've just mentioned in the show notes for, for people to check Thank out. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. It's been, um, you know, really in- insightful and, and great to, to speak to someone of, of your experience um, without making you sound old. Um, so, so thanks very much and all the best. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it. Some really good training advice and great advice for upcoming S&C coaches. Really recommend you go and buy um, your hired um you know, even if it's just because it's for a great cause, but if you want to take your career to the next level in strength and conditioning, then uh, it's definitely worth buying. Thank you again to Nick. Um, like I said, some some great um, take homes for for the listeners, and of course, great to have a listeners question on there. So if if anyone else has some something they want answered on the podcast, whether it's from from myself and Dan or uh, our guests, then please get in touch with us. You know, social media or email. And of course, check out rugbyrenegade.com. Always stuff happening there. Um, just released the Rugby Proof uh, ebook, the Ultimate Injury Prevention Program for Rugby. Um, check that out um, and stay injury free and uh, dominating the opposition. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.